Episode 4 The History of Marin House and the Club Called Dagon's Illusion. The New Orleans Historical Society presents The Marin House. Dagon's Illusion Nightclub, formerly known as the Marin House, also the Marin Moon House, was purchased by internationally recognized magician and mentalist Robert Arthur Dagon on the 31st of October, 2001. It is, in its current incarnation, a tourist attraction, five-star restaurant, and nightclub. Famed magicians and musicians from all over the world perform there regularly. Prior to that, the home has had a magnificent and often turbulent history of owners, the most interesting of whom are the Marin family, the Moon family, and the New Orleans chapter of the Red Cross. The house now spans one and a half centuries of the social life of New Orleans, and for those fascinated with the supernatural, it is officially listed as the most haunted house in America. The Marin family years, 1854 to 1865. In 1854, Dominique Marin, heir to the Marin family fortune, commissioned this lovely mansion as the new home for the Marin family. Designed by Norfolk architect James H. Calrow, who also designed the nearby residence of vampire novelist Anne Rice, it was completed in early 1855. Dominique didn't survive to see the mansion built. This task fell to his oldest daughter, Melissa. Tragedy struck again shortly after the completion of the mansion, which was to host Melissa's wedding to Peter Harris. Mr. Harris died suddenly of unknown causes, most likely malaria, two weeks before the wedding. Melissa never married. She did, however, enjoy an extended family. Her sister Caroline, her sister's husband James, and their three children moved into Marin House along with Melissa. The Marin family had been in New Orleans since Etienne Marron emigrated from France in 1790. The Marin family had been prestigious landowners and feudal lords in France. Etienne was a younger son and troublemaker who was sent to the holdings in the New World to make a place for himself and establish the Marin family name. According to the historical record, Etienne accomplished these goals very quickly, gaining a reputation for ruthlessness. He established himself in the slave trade and built a fortune. His three sons, Chadois, René, and Dominique, used this fortune to purchase land and create a vast plantation. Fighting among the brothers led again to tragedy, as René was murdered in a dispute between himself and his older brother, Chadois. Chadois died shortly thereafter due to pernicious fever. There was a yellow fever outbreak at the time, as did several of his and René's children. Upon these deaths, the estate fell into Dominique's hands. By far the most vicious of Etienne's offspring, Dominique increased the Marin family holdings and wealth on the backs of the oppressed. He continued his late father's slave trade and utilized his access to wholesale slaves to maximize profits on the plantation. There was little need for him to maintain slaves through sickness or old age. He simply cast aside and slaughtered his African bondsmen and replaced them with faces fresh from the dark continent. Even in his own day and age, he acquired a frightening reputation for cruelty. Born in 1823, Melissa Marin was the oldest of Dominique's children. Dominique had no sons, at least none that were able to inherit. It's believed he had as many as 29 children with slaves, and the Marin family fortune passed to her. 
Dominique arranged the marriage to Peter Harris. The Harris family had been prominent in New Orleans since 1820, shortly before he died. It was widely rumored at the time that Melissa resisted the idea of the marriage, and rather than mourning her fiancé's passing, she celebrated it. As stated above, Melissa's younger sister Caroline did marry. She and her husband, James Gannis, did not get along with Melissa. In particular, James had many confrontations with her about her methods of business, as she largely carried on in her father and grandfather's tradition of needless brutality. Melissa grudgingly made concessions to James's more genteel style of management, but the concessions were short-lived. Not long after the family moved to Marin House, James Gannis died of congestion of the brain. He was followed within the year by his wife Caroline, leaving their three children under Melissa's care. The Marin House became a social center of New Orleans under Melissa Marin, and in fact hosted one of the first Mardi Gras celebrations sponsored by the inscrutable crew of Baphomus, still active today. Melissa fell severely ill herself in 1863. She suffered for over a year and a half from a wasting disease that stripped her of her youth and renowned beauty. Shortly before her death, she sold the mansion and plantation to Corneal Augustus Moon, the founder of the inscrutable crew of Baphomus, leaving her nieces and nephew with a large fortune, but without ancestral lands. The Gannis children took the fortune and left New Orleans never to return. The Moon Years, 1866 to 1937. The period that the property was owned by the Moon family was equally dramatic. Corneal Moon was one of the wealthiest and most highly connected men in the Deep South at that time. If the Marin family were the feudal plantation owners of the cotton industry, the Moons were the industrial moguls. Like the Marin family, they had been residents in New Orleans for several decades prior to the Civil War. Corneal Moon, owner of the Moon Cotton Mill, made his factory one of the giants of American industry. Located in the warehouse district, the original mill building fronting on Annunciation still exists today. In its heyday, the factory complex took up an entire city block, making a huge impact on the economy. Many have written about the positive and negative effects that such a colossal factory had on the overall financial health, or lack of it, in the port of New Orleans. At its peak in the early 1890s, the Moon Cotton Mill employed a thousand workers, men, women, and children. The conditions under which the employees labored were abominable. After a period of intense mental instability, Corneal Moon committed suicide in 1892. It is rumored that the actual interment of the body took place after midnight by a small group of his closest friends known through the whispered legend as The Order. Whatever the truth may be, the only certainty is that the location of Corneal Moon's grave was never revealed. The years that Corneal was patriarch of the mansion were strange in many ways. Besides being the founder of the oldest still active Mardi Gras crew, Corneal Moon made Marin House, at this time called the Marin Moon House, the center of social and political activity. Hundreds of parties and other gatherings took place at the home, some of which were, by contemporary accounts, quite scandalous. One such example is the 1886 costume ball event, in which the guest of honor happened to pass away on the couch during the festivities due to overindulgence in alcohol. 
Oddly, no one noticed that he was dead for three days until he began to mildew and reek in the humidity. In another delightfully bizarre event, neighbors complained because Cornel and his revelers had built a bonfire in back of the house. This was used to light flaming hoops through which several naked pregnant women were enthusiastically jumping, while trumpets played in the background. This unique pageant was performed well after midnight. It was not uncommon for parties given by Cornel to last days on end. They were renowned for their debauchery. In addition to such questionable social events, there were many rumors about dark voodoo rituals, alchemical magic, and even animal sacrifices being practiced at the mansion under Cornel Moon. Although there is nothing to substantiate such rumors, they are very amusing to hear about today, and in no small part contribute to the legendary haunting of Marin House. Cornel left five children by three wives. All of his wives preceded him in death. His first committed suicide by hanging herself in the Grand Ballroom. The second died of drowning during a retreat to Ocean Springs, Mississippi, where Cornel maintained a summer place. His third wife passed away suddenly of mysterious causes in her sleep. At Cornel's death, the home fell into the hands of the youngest daughter, Nicolette Moon, her four older sisters having either married, moved, or passed away. Nicolette managed the estate splendidly and brought the house some of its happier moments. For over a century, New Orleans debutantes have featured and still do feature as Queens of Mardi Gras crews, which provide this city unparalleled amusement by way of their parades and balls. In 1892, Nicolette was Queen of the Crew of Osiris, and in 1893, Queen of the Inscrutable Crew of Baphomus, which her father had founded. The crew parades of the 1890s are legendary high points of the Golden Age of New Orleans float designs. The lush foliage and flowing lines of the worldwide Art Nouveau movement lent themselves perfectly to the mobile masterpieces featured by the parade crews. In 1893, when Nicolette Moon was Queen of Baphomus, one of the city's most remarkable artists of the medium, Virginia Wilkinson Wilde, was then reaching her stride. It was during this season that Wilde designed her legendary demonology parade that is still unmatched even today. Nicolette Moon maintained the mansion until 1937 when she donated it to the New Orleans chapter of the American Red Cross. The Red Cross years 1937 to 1955. It is a strange irony that Red Cross volunteers spent countless hours in the Marin House during World War II and the Korean War, cutting and hand-rolling bandages made of cotton, the very fiber that provided Melissa Marin funds for the home's erection, and the very plant that gave Cornel Moon the money to live out his fantastic revelries. It is almost as if the house had to atone for the blood of the African men, women, and children that had been shed to water its lawn and erect its pillars. During the Red Cross period, the house's true majesty and function were revealed. Honest, good, and selfless human endeavor transcended all the years of calculation, animosity, and death which had hitherto stalked this house's halls. Within the edifice in the 1930s, 40s, and 50s, the altruism that has always been the password of the American Red Cross expressed itself in local, national, and international relief efforts that provided solace to untold tens of thousands. Some highlights of the Red Cross programs carried out during this era were disaster service, a nursing school, junior Red Cross, and a veterans' rehabilitation clinic. 
but these barely scratched the surface of what was accomplished during this period. In early 1941, when General Allison Owen was the area's Red Cross president, the annual budget for relief handled through this building alone was over $3 million. By VE Day, May 8, 1945, when the Nazis fell in Europe, that sum had grown to over $6 million. We should never forget the meritorious activities that were made possible from operations in this antebellum mansion. By 1955, the Red Cross had outgrown Marinhaus. The space requirements of a busy service organization in the modern age simply could not be accommodated any longer within this fine old building. Dr. Kirby Hayworth bought the property, and once more the residence became an esteemed Garden District home.